everyone has a story. You have a story. I have a story. If you want to understand someone, it's important to know their story. And one of the most dramatic stories in the New Testament is the story of the Apostle Paul. He was raised as a faithful Jew. He was trained to follow the religious law. And because of that, he believed the only way that people could become acceptable to God was to earn it through religious obedience. And unfortunately, this, this way of approaching God made Paul a very narrow and ungracious person. He got angry with people who did not conform to his views. He had no tolerance for those who did not follow the Jewish rituals and traditions the way he did. So he wasn't happy with the followers of Jesus. And in Paul's view, Jesus clearly did not speak for God. Yet one day, as Paul is going about his business, he's confronted by the voice of the risen Jesus. And Jesus talks with Paul and challenges Paul, and Paul's understanding of reality is shattered. How could a crucified man return to life? Who could this Jesus be but the Lord of heaven and earth? And from that point forward, Paul no longer is a Jew who follows the law. He's a disciple who follows Jesus. If you don't understand this, you won't understand Paul. And so as Paul writes his letter to the believers living in the provinces of Galatia, he tells them some of his story. His story about his encounter with Christ, he tells them some of that story in the last half of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, Paul writes about the God who set him free. Paul was freed by God from sin. Not through obedience to religious rules, but through grace. Grace. And that's what Paul desperately wants the Galatian believers to grasp. I'd like you to listen and just listen as I read these words from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them to the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now the word gospel simply means good news. And the gospel that Paul shares with the Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jewish people, the gospel Paul shares is the good news of God's grace. Paul mentioned grace at the very outset of this letter, and the entire letter is an urgent plea to embrace the grace of God. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, then grace should be a familiar word and concept. Yet it's one that we sometimes take for granted. 
We need a fresh perspective on grace. And grace is beautiful because grace is undeserved. It's undeserved. And this means we experience God's presence in our lives as a gift, not as an earned reward. Because of grace, God offers to take away the guilt of our sin. Things like our pride and our anger and our injustice and our selfishness. And he offers to take those things away, not because we perform the right religious rituals, but simply because he loves us. And all he asks of us is to admit that we've messed up and that we make the choice to trust him and to follow his lead. Grace is a key part of God's story. And Paul, that former Jew, has been overwhelmed by God's grace. He's been rescued from a religion of rules and he now enjoys the freedom of a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And through this personal connection with Jesus, Jesus sends Paul out. Paul is sent on a mission to share the story of grace with the non-Jewish world. What's tragic is that some, certainly not all, but some of Paul's fellow Jewish Christians don't fully grasp the message of God's grace. And they want to cling to what is known and what's familiar and what's comfortable, so they push back. They claim that you can't really be a Christian unless you embrace the Jewish law. And this becomes a significant dispute within the early church. Do you just need Jesus? Or is it Jesus plus the law? It's important to see what Paul does to resolve that dispute. He knows he's right, yet he doesn't charge ahead alone. Instead, he submits to the wisdom of other church leaders as he mentions in verses 1 and 2. Now Paul mentions you're going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the spiritual capital of the faith. Going to Jerusalem to resolve a spiritual disagreement is like going to Salem to, to resolve a political disagreement. You go to where the decision makers are. And Paul goes because he gets some kind of revelation, revelation. It's some kind of prompting from God that says you need to go to Jerusalem. And he goes to describe his ministry to these other church leaders. He brings along two friends, Barnabas and Titus, who can verify what Paul has been saying and doing. And the goal of this meeting is to ensure that Paul and the Jerusalem leaders all are on the same page because Jesus wants disputes in his church resolved. Jesus wants his church to be unified. And what Paul models here for us is voluntary submission. Voluntary submission, and that is essential. It's not optional. It's essential for the health of the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that Paul didn't need to do this. Remember, he's been personally sent by Jesus so he could self-righteously tell other church leaders, I've heard from Jesus. You guys can go pound sand. 
or he simply could ignore these other leaders and just keep doing his own thing. But instead, he willingly consults with them. And why does he do that? Because the unity of the whole church is more important than any one individual. Paul demonstrates that in the community of faith, our personal freedom does not translate into independence. We are interdependent. And that's why Paul writes at length in the book of Romans and in the book of Corinthians about our need for one another. That's why he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, about the importance of submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Yes, we're free people, but we are not free from the need to be accountable to each other and accountable to the leaders of the church. Because freedom without accountability leads to an unhealthy individualism and it leads ultimately to distrust and to division and that's not what Jesus wants for his church. So Paul puts the unity of the church ahead of his personal freedom. And he submits to the wisdom of the leadership group. You know what Paul is doing? Paul is living in the freedom of grace. Extending grace toward other leaders, extending grace toward the church for the purpose of unity. And sadly, church history is filled with countless examples of believers who don't catch this. It is so important for us to understand that our life together is enriched when we follow Paul's godly example. And in today's church, we no longer have apostles, we have elders. That's the system that God has set up. And for elders to function effectively, they need to submit to each other the way that Paul and the Jerusalem leaders practiced mutual submission. And all of us as members of the church were invited to submit to each other and to the elders. Because in the church, freedom works best in partnership with grace and accountability. The Galatians need to grasp this. And that's why Paul shares this part of his story with them. And plus, they now realize that Paul is not a spiritual lone ranger. His teaching is affirmed by the larger church precisely because his freedom is tempered by the grace of accountability. Then after making this clear, Paul tackles the problem that's creating tension among the Galatian believers. Spiritual freedom in Christ versus bondage to a religion of law. And this tension centers on the doctrine of circumcision and Titus, Paul's companion, becomes a living case study as we see in verses 3 to 5. Now, Titus, as Paul says, was a Greek, which means he wasn't raised as a Jew, which means he'd not been circumcised as an infant. Instead, as a young man, he heard the good news of Jesus Christ, he repented, and he was baptized, and he became a disciple. But some Jewish Christians are pressuring Titus to be circumcised, and that's because they believe he's not completely free of his sins unless he submits to the Jewish law. And the sign of that religious submission 
is circumcision. And thankfully, Paul and the Jewish leaders don't yield to that pressure. It's not necessary for anyone to be circumcised acting in obedience to the law because that never leads to spiritual freedom. Instead, Paul explains what he learned from his own personal experience with the Jewish law. Jesus, and only Jesus, can set us free from sin and from religiosity, the burden of living by religious rules. God does not want his children to live a life of spiritual slavery to rules. God's plan is Jesus, not Jesus plus the law. Not Jesus plus anything. God invites us to live in the freedom that comes when we embrace grace. That's the truth of the gospel. Grace is God's good news. God's story for you and for me. However, even as we understand that, we need to recognize that grace also is messy because freedom is messy. And all you have to do is read the New Testament letters of Paul to realize just how messy freedom and grace are. And here's the challenge. People always prefer conformity in every aspect of life, and it's no different in the church. If we're all supposed to dress alike and act alike and worship alike, then it's really easy to tell when somebody's out of line. Jesus invites us into a community based not on conformity, but on unity. And therefore, we are invited to extend grace to people who experience God differently than we do. And we see that all the time. Some people love hymns and some people love Christian rock. Some pray silently, some pray aloud. Some raise their hands when they sing and some don't. The list goes on. As long as people are pursuing Jesus and honoring Jesus and striving to follow Jesus, such differences do not matter. Yet there always are believers who want to impose something extra on the truth of the gospel. We have this tendency to want to make the gospel Jesus plus something. At various times in my life, I've been told that I'm not a true Christian because the minister who baptized me didn't recite the exactly correct formula of words as he immersed me into Christ. I've been told I'm not a true Christian because I like to dance with my wife. I've heard people say that you're not a true Christian unless you read a certain version of the Bible. Or unless you believe in the young earth interpretation of creation, or unless you belong to a political party of a certain stripe, or unless you pray in tongues like they did in the book of Acts. The list goes on. And such things are a push for conformity, not unity. Paul's words to the Galatian believers remind us that the gospel is not Jesus plus something else. 
The gospel is Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus who was crucified for us. Jesus who rose for us. Jesus who lives for us and with us. Jesus who invites us to live in the freedom of his grace and to extend that same grace to others. Even to people whose stories with Jesus may be very, very different than our own. Because the gospel is Jesus and his grace.